This episode of Radio Techers is brought to you in part by Trip Surfer Vacations. Travel is opening up again, and we know you're ready to go. Trip Surfer Vacations has great all-inclusive packages for your next beach vacation and all the info you need to know about your next trip. So whether you're headed to the Cancun, Cozumel, Cabo, or the Caribbean, Trip Surfer Vacations has you guys covered. We even have partnerships for European adventures as well. So we know you're ready to go. Visit TripSurferVacations.com and let them know that Radio Techers sent you. Y'all have fun out there. Welcome to Nitro Nights, a show that is looking back on WCW from the very first Monday Nitro via all the pay-per-views, all the Clash of Champions, uh, all the Thursday Funders, any any show WCW ran from the first Nitro to the last Nitro. And already two weeks in, three weeks in, we are greeted with our very, very first pay-per-view. But I keep saying we because it's not just me. Joining me, as always, is the always excellent, always brilliant, always entertaining Colin McCaldy himself, the middleweight champion of Kent, Scottish Danny. How are we doing today, my friend? I'm doing really well, thank you, sir. Thank you for uh, having me along again. Um, you've got to stop thanking me. This is this is your show as much as it is mine. This is our show, so don't, don't you worry about that, okay, bud? Yep, definitely. Excited to get <laughs> excited to get into uh, today's show. Well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, okay. Before we dive straight into it, then I, I suppose I suppose how many mid nineties WCW pay per views have, have you seen before? Is this something that you you're quite familiar with, or is this an era of wrestling that it, this is relatively new to you? No, it's all totally new. Um, I've okay. seen the odd uh, thing on the WWE Network, but uh, nothing springs to mind. So I've definitely never seen this show before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. Well, we'll get into the thoughts on that in a moment, I suppose. There's a, there's quite a few low points and a few high points, I guess, but we'll get into that shortly. Today, the, the first pay-per-view that we're looking at, the first pay-per-view on Nitro Nights, is also the first pay-per-view of the Monday Night War era. The WCW ran four brawl on the 17th of September 1995 from the Asheville Civic Center in North Carolina. Very much WCW Jim Crockett Promotions stomping ground, North Carolina. 
the show was attended by 6,600 people is the list in attendance, which is roughly the same, give or take a couple, as the year before, but way off what happens in 96 when the NWO angle has hit and popularity is skyrocketing. Next year's four ball is actually closer to 11,500, so it's quite a massive jump in attendance there. The buy rate for this pay-per-view works out at roughly 80 to 85,000 ish, which is massively down on the previous year in 94 and massively down from what we get in 96 as well. So I mean, we can kind of see, we can kind of see with these figures in 95 and also what's going on with the sort of more established WWF in 95 as well, where the business is. It's very much kind of in a lull at this point, I think, Danny, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, you can see things changing uh, as as we go on with this show. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I, the, the, to me, this show is is a two match card. Effectively, that I think the whole show, the whole pay per view, is built around the two main events, mm. which you know, the first of all, obviously being four brawl. It's tradition at, by this stage that four brawl hosts the war games match that is synonymous with Jim Crockett promotions, the NWA and eventually WCW as well. But we also have some I'm really looking forward to getting to in a little while on our podcast, Ric Flair versus R. Anderson. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on that when we get there, Danny. But yeah. before we do, our opener is Johnny B. Bad versus Flying Brian Pillman. And the winner gets a title shot at Sting and his United States Championship. What are your thoughts on this? And I'm particularly interested in hearing your thoughts on the Johnny B. Bad character. Um, yeah, it was really good. Um, I, I was shocked that Michael Buffer actually did the introductions for this because um, I thought he was just hired for the main events. But um, yeah, it was a really good match. Um, Johnny B. Bad as a character, that was something I'd completely never seen before because we're watching him over on a change in attitude at the minute as wild man Mark Miro. So yeah. this is um, a completely different character, but very flamboyant, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of why I wanted to pick your brains on that one, because I, I obviously listened to A Change in Attitude, and I know you, Magsy, Ori, Tanner, uh, the crew over there, doing a fantastic job looking at the WWF attitude era and onwards, are looking at Miro, and his, his he has Sable with him, and, and that, sort of, that sort of 96 run is where you are at the moment. Mm. But obviously here he's coming to the end of his WCW run before jumping across to the WWF uh, sort of side of the fence, I guess. Now, Johnny B. Bad is a character that I saw a great deal of growing up because he wrestled a lot in 93-ish, I suppose. I mean, my dates may be way off, so don't quote me on this, anyone on Twitter. I could be miles off here. I'm just guessing here. So 92, 93-ish or whatever. He wrestled a lot on, or his matches anyway, were broadcast a lot on Worldwide, which is what we discussed the other week that I got to see on a Saturday afternoon growing up in the early 90s. So Johnny B. Bad for me, he, he's a guy I was kind of quite familiar with. And then, so so when I see him as Mark Miro, that's weird to me. I see him, I, to me, he's Johnny B. Bad. Does that make sense? Yep, it definitely does. This uh, first impressions, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I suppose you're right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and he, obviously he's, he's still very much using the, the the boxing background gimmick here as well with Johnny B. Bad. I think was it the Tutti Fruity? It was called his his punch finisher. Yes, that he it has. was. Yeah, it was. And uh, I mean, he, he had a lot of charisma, didn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, he's very, very charismatic, and well, I suppose you've got to be to land someone like Sable, haven't you? So, <laughs> either that, or to be massive like Lesnar. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, the match starts off for me relatively slow. There's a lot of map-based work to start off with, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But here, it seems like there's a great deal of rest holds, and then you know we've seen numerous headlock takeovers, arm drags, etc., which is absolutely fine. Of course, it is. You know, this is this is what wrestling is fundamentally is built on that kind of yeah. that kind of platform. However, it seems like they did a lot of that over and over again. Uh, how, how did you find the start of this match? And I suppose that ultimately it goes the twenty minute time limit and gets restarted. Yeah. What did you think of say the first twenty minutes initially? It was uh, there was a lot of chain wrestling, as you said, um, but yeah, it was a bit slow for me. Uh, the action really picked up around, I would say, about after the, I'd say about the fourteen, fifteen minute mark. Um, it really started to pick up. Um, yeah, it was it was just uh, a bit slow. Yeah, I tell you what, I think you're spot on there. When uh, the ring announcer announces there's five minutes left in the time limit, it's almost like it sort of sparks them into life a little bit, and we get a bit more right. from them. And we see uh, moves coming off the top rope, going over the top rope to the outside, drop kicks, etc. But then in the last minute or so, they slow back down again. And it's also like there's no real urgency for me getting mm. towards towards the time limit expiring. It's almost like that any urgency they built up in the previous couple of minutes kind of kind of goes, I think, for me. It does, yeah. That's how I feel the exact same way. I mean, um I I wasn't expecting the way this ended uh, with a crossbody. I was quite shocked by that as well. I think that's the first time I've seen a match end in a crossbody. Um, what did you think <laughs> of the finish? Uh, it is a weird one, isn't it? I mean, not not the crossbody itself, because I've seen you know plenty of guys use a crossbody as a finish. I mean, Ricky Steamboat used one off the top rope as a finish for years and, and so on. Yeah. yeah. But this was... The match gets restarted by Nick Patrick because it's a draw and they decide they must have a winner to face Sting for the United States Championship yeah. on a future date. They, they sort of start hitting the ropes and they're, they're going at some pace, aren't they? Pillman and Bad here. They're yep. bouncing off the ropes, sort of crisscrossing each other. And they both go for a crossbody at the same time, collide in midair. And it's not even like they, they land in a certain position. They land and then and then Johnny B. Bad goes for the cover and pins Pillman. It was, I've never seen it before, but I suppose in a way it would make sense. You've wrestled for the best part of 25 minutes. Yep. You, you, you're tired, you're, you're gasping for air. And then a huge cross body knocks the knocks the steam out of you again, knocks the breath out of you. Mm. I suppose it makes sense that I would finish the match, but it just sort of came out of nowhere. I didn't, I didn't expect that to be the end. I suppose. Yeah, same here. I mean, yeah, the way you explained it makes total sense now. Yeah, they would they would be both just broken, wouldn't they? Just absolutely exhausted. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my overall feelings on that match, though, I think are that it, we could have had. You could have you could have cut ten minutes off that easily, and we wouldn't have been disappointed. I mean, it went on for a bit too long, especially as it was the opener as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it kind of just uh, it was just it was there, wasn't it? Like, just mm. if they shaved off ten minutes, it could have been a lot better. Yeah, the the, the sort of la- as you said, Danny, spot on. The last few minutes of the sort of normal time frame, and then going into the overtime is when the action really sort of kicked up a level. Uh, following. That opener, we have Ric Flair cutting a promo, talking about his his upbringing and our Anderson's upbringing, and then their friendship and so on. This is 
to me, Danny, I mean, you may have a different opinion. I don't know, but to me, this is fantastic. Yep, I agree with you. <laughs> it's the, um, the storytelling, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, Flair's just so good. He's Sometimes he goes, he, he almost crosses that line a little bit, especially in later years, and he gets quite ranty and quite shouty yep. and comes across like a little bit like he's lost the plot. <laughs> <laughs> just a tad. Yeah, but here I think he's, he's, he sort of approaches that line but doesn't quite cross it. It's quite interesting for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd never known uh, Ric Flair and Arl Anderson feuded with each other, so this was quite refreshing as well, going back and watching these uh, nitros and and this pay-per-view especially. Yeah, I mean, it was a very short-lived thing. It was effectively only this con- sort of this short period of time, this, this couple of months, mm. couple of matches, and then that was kind of it, really. But, I mean, I'm, I'm a massive fan of Arn. I'm obviously a huge fan of Flair. So for me watching this back again today for the purpose of this show i can remember watching that match back previously and that's just what i was looking forward to the whole way through the pay-per-view so <laughs> that's all i was sort of like heading towards if that makes sense yeah definitely totally does something that i didn't have good memories of from the last time i watched it um mm, well danny do you want to talk us through the next match between it, it, it it's it's just odd. <laughs> it's uh, odd. Definitely is a good way to uh, put it. I'd never um, heard of any of these two wrestlers, uh, Sergeant Craig Pitbull, Pitman and Cobra. Um, I'd never seen these people. These look like those. I don't know if you remember in the nineties, you'd go to Poundland and uh, you'd see those uh, knockoff wrestlers. <laughs> <in the pound. laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, you're spot on and they'd have really like really generic names like yeah i i don't know peter power or something yes, like that yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and very much these both of these names would appear in the poundland uh, shelves as well i mean it's uh this was um yeah this was i would call this poundland shop match but um <laughs> um to me this was a very very quick match i'm glad yeah, yeah, that was for the better. What did you think of it overall? It, it wasn't very good, was it? But there's not a lot there to judge, I suppose. I mean, Cobra comes out first, and he's got like Morse code for music, <laughs> and that's just terrible because he's supposed to be the good guy. I'd have thought like a, a, a heel would have had that. Yeah, I thought that as well, unless it was Inspector Morse himself. <laughs> and, and then Pitbull has sent a private down from the army, from from his troop to distract Cobra. And Pitbull then abseils down from the ceiling behind him and, and jumps in from behind. So that, that bit, I actually thought was quite cool. Yeah, it was very 90s, wasn't it? <clears throat> yeah, I thought that was good. He had like the um, the bullet belt, didn't he? The sort of, the, the, the sort of synonymous with the scene in Rambo when he's shooting all the, the, machine, the machines out in Rambo 2 or 3 or whatever one it is. Definitely. But it's basically a quick squash match, isn't it? And, mm. yeah. yeah, I did write down. It did feel like a time filler. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe that's. I suppose I didn't even think that's a really good point, Danny. I didn't even think of that. It does feel quite filler. Maybe that's why the previous match went as long as it did because mm. they because they didn't want to give these two any extra time. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of wrestlers on this card that they didn't want to give extra time to. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I, you can probably pick up by my tone of voice and the way that the way that I'm talking about it. There's not a lot of good on this show as we play forward. I'm going to be honest. Okay, a little bit of spoiler alert for the rest of the podcast. But there's not masses of good in my eyes. <laughs> Speaking of not masses of good, um, we have Paul Orndorff backstage saying about how he's been on a losing streak and he's no longer Mr. Wonderful. And he's quite upset about this and he's throwing a few things around. And then we're greeted by Gary Spivey, who I was informed by Andy from Bang Bang Podcast when I discussed this match with him for the excellent Bang Bang Podcast. It was a TV psychic at one stage. Wow. (laughs) But, I mean... What are your thoughts on Gary Spivey here, my friend? It's, it's a unique look, isn't it? It's very, very, uh, as I said uh, earlier, 90s, uh, all in a, um, a nutshell. But for this whole segment, for me, it just went on way too long. Um, I've seen on YouTube, uh, I don't know if you remember the death of Lex Luger when he changed into the total package. Um, no, it, it seemed like uh, the precursor to that, um, where he was like, he lost his confidence. And so I've never seen Paul Orndorff this expression with this kind of sort of expression. So yeah, this was, uh, this, this went on too long for me. And I just wrote in the notes, what was this? <laughs> yeah. Welcome to mid nineties WCW, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did warn you. It was going to be a bit rocky in places. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Gary Spivey, basically in a very quick, repetitive way, he, he kind of gives Paul Orndorff his confidence back and he is now going to be referred to as only Mr. Wonderful. And we leave old Paul kissing his arms and his biceps and his own reflection and so on. Yeah, this was this was weird. Even by wrestling standards, this was strange. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's, uh, it's just something I wouldn't go back and watch, to be honest. Hmm. <laughs> After that, we have the television title match. Diamond Dallas Page in quite a colourful get-up, sparkly, pink, red, and all sorts, accompanied by Max Muscle, I think the guy's name was, and the Diamond Doll facing the Jimmy Hart-managed Renegade, who was the current TV champion at this stage. Page goes on to win the match with a diamond cutter after some outside interference and so on. And there's not masses really here, I think, to talk about with regards to in-ring. It's kind of just, it is what it is. I'm more interested to pick your brains, Danny, on... We'll start with Diamond Dallas Page. Everyone now knows Page for DDP Yoga and his appearances in WWE in later years. In WCW, we see him transition into a, a, a world champion and a main eventer in a couple of years from where we are now. What are your thoughts on Diamond Dallas Page in general when we start this look back and also here on this particular event? Yeah, I think he's uh, definitely one of the best um, from WCW because uh, he's such a character, isn't he? Even to this day, he's still uh, he's basically the same person he was back then in uh, 2022. But yeah, I like um, DDP. This, um, I, I couldn't see a main eventer in uh, this character, but surprise surprise he actually did because he was in his uh late 30s at this point i believe he seemed like he was more of a manager himself than his actual manager (laughs) (laughs) um yeah what uh this whole match itself um what did you think of it 
I, I kind of think it's just it's just kind of there. I think they're just trying to get the belt onto Page. The Renegade, we'll come to him in a moment, but the Renegade wasn't particularly well equipped when it came from the bell to bell aspect of, of the wrestling business. Page was still very much finding his feet, learning his way. And it's interesting you mentioned about how he looks more of a manager than his actual manager does. Because he, he was a manager for quite a while. He managed the Diamond Stud, who went on to be Razor Ramon and Scott Hall and so on. But Page is like, he's a, he's a giant. He's like 6'6 six, six or something stupid like that. He's yep. 270 odd, 280 pounds. He's got a massive mop of blonde hair. And it's like he, he was distracting from his clients. So he eventually ends up being a wrestler himself and, and so on. But yeah, it, it's like... It's like he's just had so many gimmicks at once. The cigar, the hair, the clothes, the manager, the, the bodyguard. And the he's jewelry. Just, yep. Oh, the jewellery. Yes, the jewellery, yeah. <laughs> and he's kind of chucked it all together and just to see what sticks, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, eventually it did. So. <laughs> well, something, yeah, eventually it clicked. I mean, but that was very much a stripped back version, wasn't it, I suppose? It was. Yeah. But we will come to that in future episodes. Yeah. Uh, the Renegade. Do you know much about the Renegade? Do you know much about him in general, the the, the character, the person, or anything? Um, not a lot, but I do remember uh, it was on uh, one of those Hulk Hogan uh, DVDs. Uh, the first time I saw um, the Renegade, and I was thinking, what was this? I mean, <laughs> this uh, ripoff of the Ultimate Warrior. Um, yeah. We talked about it last week. I mean, the Zodiac was bad enough, but this... This wouldn't fly. I mean, just how long did this last for? Um, he's still knocking around WCW a few years after this, but very much in a wow. in a different guise. He's still referred to as the Renegade, but I mean, he's effectively in basically a jobber role, I guess, and he's appearing on Saturday night and so on. I mean, the guy's name was Richard Wilson. I, I wrote an article about him quite a while back. I'll send you a link to it, Danny. It, yeah. He, um, yeah. It's quite a sad story, to be honest. He, he was a oh. massive wrestling fan. And yep. he wanted to be involved in the wrestling business. And of course, he looked the way he did. He had the hair, the body, he was tall. But he, he hadn't really built up much experience. But they, the, the WCW at the time were desperate to bring somebody new in. And Hogan was teasing the ultimate surprise. Oof. Basically hinting that it was going to be the ultimate warrior and, and ended up being the renegade. Now, the renegade, they pushed him to the moon. He worked with Orndorff. He worked with Arn Anderson. But it didn't quite work out, and then the company was very much changing. You know, from from sort of ninety five to ninety six, the company is going to change dramatically in the next twelve months. It didn't really work out for him. He was eventually released. Nowhere else picked him up because ultimately he he wasn't that good. He was he was kind of given too much too soon. I guess he was out of his depth. I think. I mean, Arn Anderson talks about him on one of his podcasts and explains that he was a really really nice guy but he was just too nice for the wrestling business and was perhaps given too much too soon mm. because of the way he looked, maybe. Um, I'm paraphrasing here. You'd have to go back and listen yeah. to it yourself. But uh, ultimately, he also suffered with, uh, I, I believe, some mental health issues here. I don't know exactly what it was, anxiety, depression, whatever. Again, don't quote me on this. but uh, And he, he had quite a turbulent relationship with his partner. And sadly, in... Uh, February, I think it was. I think it was the February of 1999. He had an argument with his girlfriend and just pulled out a gun and, and, and shot himself. And that was that. He, he was he was dead in his 30s. Very, very sad tale. 
Bloody hell. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't know about any of that. I'll look forward to that um, article, sir. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link across after we finish recording tonight, my friend. Definitely. Yeah, it's, I'm quite proud of it. It's quite an article I enjoyed working on, even though it's quite a sad tale, to be fair. Mm. Yeah, so then, after the TV title match, we get another title match. But you wouldn't think it was for a title, because <laughs> because it's all about Sherry and Parker, and will they, will they, won't they, I suppose. <laughs> As you, as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, I'm a massive uh, soaps fan, and this had soap opera written all over it. Yes, yeah, but very, very badly. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. And basically, you have Harlem Heat, who is managed by Sister Sherry, as she is referred to here, Sherry Martel, sensational Sherry from the WWF, and they are going up against the, oh, I suppose, very dated-looking tag team of Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck, who I completely forgot. Every time I watch any WCW from this era, I completely forget that they had a title run. And whenever I see them with the bouts, I'm like, oh yeah, they're that forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> but they're managed by Colonel Robert Parker. And I mean, the match goes on for a while without anything really happening. Just lots of rest holds and so on. Because we're basically just, waiting for something to happen between Parker and Sherry, I think. Yeah. It felt like they were just placeholders, wasn't it? <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, you've got title change here as well. But again, the tag titles just don't seem like a priority. And it's a real shame to me. Yeah, definitely. But one good thing I did write about this is how beautiful did those tag team belts look? Oh, yeah. See, I'm glad you mentioned stuff like that. Because I think a lot of the titles in WCW look great. Definitely. I mean, the United States Championship is one of my favourites. I love that belt. I mean, uh, I'm more of a fan of the WWE version, um, as I've uh, expressed to you and Max. Um, but yeah. I, I, I do uh, like the uh, the WWE US title too, and uh, even the television title. Mm, yeah, the TV title. I always I like it with the, like the red leather strap. Mm. When it was when it had the red leather strap, and it was so that makes me think back to sort of. Arn Anderson time, the later sort of late eighties, a few years previous to this, I guess. But yeah, I love that title as well. A couple of moments in this that are a bit uncomfortable for me, I think. Obviously, we got war games coming up, so we have two rings. The match is going on in the one ring, and whilst that's happening, we get a wide camera angle so we can see the other ring as well. Colonel Parker is still in the apron. Sherry is still in the apron on the opposite side of the ring. She decides to climb through the ropes and crawl in a really creepy uncomfortable way towards this this chap who jumps the ropes to see her and they end up in quite a vigorous snog and <laughs> <laughs> lipstick sweat and glitter go everywhere and whilst this is happening the nasty boys come into the ring hit dick slater with his own boot Harlem Heat win the titles, which is, I suppose, a plus thing to come from this because Harlem Heat are a good tag team. Uh, yeah, what what did you think of this? Because to me, it's, there's a lot going on without a lot happening. If, I know that's a bit contradictory, but what are your no, thoughts? No, uh, pretty much the same. I mean, I was shocked to see the Nasty Boys because uh, I didn't know they were in WCW this early. I thought only uh, Brian Nobbs was in uh, WCW in the 2000 era. So that was a... Uh, a surprise. I don't know if it was a good or a bad surprise, but it was uh, the Nasty Boys running definitely was the highlight. Um, Harlem Heat uh, winning was uh, 
quite I, I enjoyed that as well it kind of just it was like out with the old in with the new that's how I kind of felt about this match um overall that makes a lot of sense you know that makes a lot of sense I mean to me the team of Slater and Bunkhouse Buck they they look out of date already here they look dated this is 95 and they look like they belong in 85 yeah <laughs> Harlem Heat they they look the other way. They, this is ninety five. They look like they belong now. I guess they look badass. Sherry looks great here with them as well. Colonel Parker is just a very old, tired, dated character. So that kind of out with the old, in with the new. I think you're absolutely spot on there, Danny. Oh, thank you. And um, uh, just to say for Colonel Robert Parker, he's still going today in MLW, which is, is uh, really yeah, <laughs> still the same gimmick. <laughs> Why, my goodness! I, I'm not. I, I used to watch a bit of MLW. Where did I pick that up on? Do they have a TV deal over here for a while? Oh, I think it was on YouTube. It was on YouTube. Okay, I might have caught it on there then. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Watching it on YouTube doesn't sound like something I would have done. <laughs> that sounds a little bit too techno- technologically advanced for me. But um, I remember watching some MLW because I remember MJF being in MLW. Mm. He was he was aligned with is it Hammerstone the one guy? I think it was yeah 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 because he's like, he's their champion now. And there was a big Samoan guy and there's a couple of Von Erics in there as well, if my memory serves. But I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed what I saw. Yeah, uh, definitely. It was uh, it was on. I say about the year has lost its steam, but yeah, it was still good to go back and watch. Yeah. Okay. After this kind of. Well, I mean, after the tag match here, I've got my notes. I've literally just got the word bad underlined after it. So I think that summarises what I thought of that one. Um, (laughs) After this, we have Arn Anderson cutting a promo with a video package showing Flair losing his way because Hogan's arrived in the company. Arn Anderson and Ric Flair kind of falling apart and bickering and uh, the sort of lead up to why these two guys founding members of the horsemen best friends sometimes they were called cousins it depended on what the storyline was why they're facing each other Arn anderson here looks like an absolute badass he really does doesn't he he's mm. just um this as you said about the the cousins um that's that reminded me of um growing up in east london there would be a lot of um uh people at school uh, when you was kids they would say like oh he's my cousin because when you he was his best friend you would say oh he's my cousin he's my cousin um <laughs> it kind of made no sense it was like but i guess um i'm sure the dirt she's had a thrill day with that one with um with, saying rick flair and Arlington are not um related but yeah it kind of um there was an interesting thing I wanted to bring up about just before you get to this match, Si. Um yeah. did you know what uh Arn Anderson did directly after this interview? Ah, did, what I think he was sick, wasn't he? Yes, yeah, he puked because he was that nervous. You yeah, got his bag on. <laughs> and so you think he, how good this guy was and he's that nervous. That's that's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. He puked and then went straight to the ring. <laughs> Ugh, I don't want to tie up with him. Imagine the breath. No, 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 no. He won't be. No, I, I imagine our Anderson just smells fantastic all the time. <laughs> you know, I imagine our Anderson's always got a supply of mints on him and he always smells like brute aftershave or old spice or one, one of those sort of jobs, you know? Definitely. <laughs> I love the jacket as well. The black bomber jacket with enforcer on the back. Oh, that is yeah. so cool. 
looks really really cool and uh he was i believe he was mid 30s here as well so mm. even though he looked 10 years older but he was yeah yeah i understand when he was born he looked 44 <laughs> you know he was born of a bold spot on a beard it was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, yeah we we have the iron promo and then we get the match we get the match between rick flair and Arn anderson the to me, this really feels like a big match. Everything else on the card so far has felt so throwaway, and we've had two title changes, but it's just felt like meh, like it's not really important. Here, with the video packages, the two separate promos, Tony Schiavone on commentary has a little has a bit to say before the before the ring entrances are made. There's lots of wrestlers at ringside that are coming out to watch. It feels like it's important. Does that make sense? It really does. It's kind of like um, WrestleMania 18 when uh, The Rock Hulk Hogan was uh, middle of the card, but it should have been the main event. I feel the same way of this. This should have been the main event, even though the War Games is the War Games, but this this could have easily closed out any show. Ah, uh, see, that's re- I've never even thought of that. That's a really interesting point. If... Hmm. Okay, so playing devil's advocate here, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm not arguing with you, just sort of trying to sort of play the other side of the coin, I suppose. Yep. Say for argument's sake, these two matches were the other way round. Mm. Now, in, there's a lot of young kids in the audience there to see Hogan. The Dungeon of Doom is all cartoony nonsense and so on, but you've got Hogan, you've got Savage, you've got Luger, they're all very popular guys. Then, oh, Sting, of course, as well, hugely, hugely popular guy. Would the crowd have been tired out after War Games going into Flair no. Anderson? Or do you think yeah. the crowd would have been okay? I don't know. No, I think you're right, actually. If you put it like that, yeah, they came to... I mean, Hulk Hogan was probably why they bought the why they came to the pay-per-view. So I think you're right, actually. Now, now I've reconsidered it. About I don't the, know. The I, I, I'd, I'd never thought of it before. That's really interesting. Hmm. I mean, to me, War Games always closes the pay-per-views. Yep. But it closes the pay-per-views just because it always has. It's, it, I've never even questioned it. It's really interesting. And I mean, going forward, I think we should ask something we should be we should be looking at. Yeah. A, a point you've raised there. Like, sh- does the running order of the card affect it, I suppose? That's a really interesting yeah. point, Danny. Thank you. I mean, just uh, just on another sidebar quickly, uh, they did, WWE did this with uh, the Royal Rumble 2006, where they had the Royal Rumble on before the world title match. And it it definitely tired out the crowd. <laughs> hmm. So I can see your point as well. I suppose nowadays, though, I mean, as we're talking here, we're a couple of days away from the 2022 Royal Rumble, aren't we? It's a bit different in the last few years because you've got the ladies have a rumble match as well now, which is fantastic. Yep. But I thought it's really, you've got to be really careful how you structure the card because to me, the rumble matches, I, I want them saved right to the very end. Cause that's what I'm here for. But yep. if you have one rumble on and then the next one back to back, that's not going to work. No. So I suppose you've got to try and really think about how you put a card together and how, you, which order the matches go in Danny, I suppose. Yep, definitely. I mean, it has changed over the last 10 years, but yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. Hmm, okay. So then, so then, I, I'm not, I'll give my thoughts in a, in a minute or two because everyone knows where I'm going to go with this because this is my era and these are my guys. But what are your thoughts, Danny, on seeing Flair versus Arn? They go a good amount of time. It's back and forth. Talk us through the match. Talk us through what, what you think of, of this. 
this was a masterclass. Um, a lot of selling, a lot of storytelling. The drama was all on point. Um, 20 plus minutes this went, which I was very happy with. Um, Arn's facial expressions and Ric Flair's facial expressions were brilliant. Wasn't too, I mean, the the story I could understand, but I wasn't happy with, uh, with Brian Pillman running, but I could understand why he was there, but I would have just rather had this as just a one-on-one and uh but yeah it was a really good match um what did you think about it i loved it <laughs> most predictable thing you're going to hear on the podcast today i love the <laughs> rick flair match why what a surprise <laughs> <laughs> you're right i think about the finish pillman getting involved on one hand i suppose it makes sense because it then means that flair hasn't lost clean so there's always that comeback notion to it i guess on the other side of the coin, was it necessary? I think you're right, Danny. Probably not. But the, the build-up to getting to that point where Pillman interferes is superb. We see Arn Anderson messing with Ric Flair's hair and then wooing to the crowd, which has made me chuckle. Flair's bumping all over the place early on, takes a walk outside to get to, get to sort of gather himself because he's, he's getting so flustered with Arn almost surprising him with how many times he's, he's sending him to the sending him to the mat on Anderson's working Flair's arm. And it's, it, it, at that stage when Arn is working Flair's arm, it's quite slow and methodical, but it's not slow in the way that the opener was slow. Mm, agreed this, with this, that. Yeah. This to me is slow, maybe even slower in places, but everything they're doing makes sense. I think the story they're telling is better. Maybe. Yep. I could see that as well. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, we get Ric Flair working on Double uh, A's leg, as is to be expected from Ric Flair. We get the Flair corner spot where he flips up the buckles and runs along. But on this occasion, Arn thinks he's he's got him and tries to knock Flair off the apron as he's running. But Flair drops down, pulls the top rope down, and sends Arn Anderson to the outside. Just so many little throwbacks to moves that these guys have always done. Mm. But they're countering each other's sort of historical move set i guess yeah i mean uh they'd known each other for years before this so i mean it, it kind of was the it just makes sense to do it like this to roll out this match like this mm, yeah very true very true i mean the ddt counter from flair as well as another example i suppose knowing that Arn is going to go for the ddt and cupping the rope so Arn basically takes a bump on his back as opposed to ddting flair just so, so good. I, I loved this all the way through. Really did. Yep, definitely. Match of the night. And uh, I would say uh, I was very surprised by the result as well. I kind of expected Ric Flair to win this, but yeah. What did you think of the result? Um, I'm glad Arn won. Because to me, I suppose with the Pillman interference, like we mentioned, you can go either way with it and it not really hurt either guy. But I also yep. think that both of these guys at this stage are, they're effectively Teflon, aren't they? Nothing's yep. going to, you know, they're, they're over no matter what, especially in, you know, the Carolinas and so on. I'm glad Arn went over though, because it, the whole story was building up of Arn Anderson saying, can I hang with you? I'm going to give you everything I've got. If he didn't win, that maybe, maybe would have made him look too weak, I guess. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think in the long term it would have really mattered. But I, I agree with you. I, I think it is right decision. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, and I suppose then after that, 
that sort of mini classic, I guess, we get there. We head to the other half of what was billed as a double main event by Tony Schiavone at the top of the show. We have the War Games match between Hulk Hogan and his Hulkamaniacs of Sting, Randy Savage and Lex Luger, who is filling in for the AWOL, as they keep telling us, Vader. Uh, we covered Luger being involved in this and, and why in a previous episode of Nitro Nights. So go back and check those out. And he that, that team is facing the Dungeon of Doom. Oh, goodness, I'm so sorry, Danny. Facing the Dungeon of, <laughs> the dungeon of Doom team of Shark, who was Earthquake in the WWF, Meng, Zodiac, who was Brutus Beefcake, and Kamala. The stipulation added very late on is if Hogan, if Hogan's side wins, Hogan gets five minutes with the pint-sized Taskmaster. We get a promo beforehand, a little video package. What what, what are your thoughts of the Dungeon of, dungeon of Doom Day? Um, I think I said it best last week. I mean, they were very con- cartoonish, wasn't they? And uh, they... They, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that they're not around for too much longer, uh, during this uh, rewatch. Yeah, well, I wouldn't hold your breath on that one, mate. <laughs> 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 on the plus side, we know by this time next year, by this time in '96, we're a full on NWO territory, so we've got that mm. to look forward to. Okay, just keep, just keep okay. looking yeah. ahead. <laughs> 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 they just look ridiculous, don't they? But again, I suppose I'm looking at it as an adult and thinking this is ridiculous. I don't know how 10-year-old me would have took it. Mm. That's a good point. You know, perhaps I should sit down with one of my... Well, my youngest is 12, so maybe she is a bit old. I don't know, but I'll sit down with one of the kids and see what they think of it. But, I mean, mm. it is... I mean, the Zodiac's the one for me. The Zodiac is just nonsense. <laughs> the man of yin and yang who walks in darkness and light... I mean, I, I'm not being funny. Don't don't we all walk in darkness and light at some point? <laughs> yep, we do. You know, it's just yeah. Oh. It pays to be Hulk Hogan's best friend, doesn't it? It does, mate. It does indeed. <laughs> Speaking of Hogan's mates, before the match actually begins, we get a promo from Hogan's team. Now Hogan speaks for quite a duration. Sting gets a few words in. Luger, bless him, even tries his best. And Savage also has a little bit of a rant into the microphone. Do you know anything they were on about? Can you pick out anything from that promo? Absolutely not. (laughs) 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 They were just there screaming uh, a lot of tan and a lot of oil and a lot of blonde hair and a lot of screaming. That's all I accounted for that. Yeah, I would also hint maybe a lot of cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> the, way they're, the way they're going on, <laughs> and possibly it's something else in a needle. But well, maybe, know. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Oh my goodness! Sting and Shark start the War Games match. Well, I'll tell you what, before we actually get to the rundown of this, because again, similar to matches earlier in the card. And the people listening may may realise this. We're flying through this paper relatively quickly, but that's simply because there's not masses to talk about. It's it's nearly three hours of just nothingness. So that's probably why we're flying through it quite quickly. But before we get to running through what happens in the match, War Games itself, Danny, 
I'm assuming you're familiar with war games more so in recent years because of the NXT versions. Yes, definitely. Have you seen many war games from WCW or Jim Crockett Promotions? Yes, I saw uh, the 2000 one that happened on Nitro, uh, War Games okay. Revenge. Um, that is the only one I've seen from, uh, well, now this, from uh, WCW, uh, but the rest have definitely been from NXT. And right. um, uh, TNA had their own version, uh, Lockdown. I don't know if you remember Lethal Lockdown in the 2000s. Oh, is that where... Yeah, they had a bit of a twist on it, didn't they? Where the yes. roof would come yeah. They uh Sting uh brought it uh in, in Kayfabe in two thousand and six. Uh he actually mentioned war games on, on the air as in a promo. Um and he said that it's like an updated version of war games. So from two thousand six till two thousand and whatever, um they stopped doing them. Um yeah, this was their version of uh, war games. Okay, so now I can I can sort of vision, I can sort of remember the hexagonal ring and they mm. used to call it what the the, the um the six sides of steel is that right That's yes what it's yeah and so then that no, was gone go sorry the roof would come down part way through the match is that right yeah after all the uh, uh competitors were in the ring it, the rules were the same as uh a, a war games where two would start the ring and then uh another person would enter another person would enter and things like that so it was a total rip-off <laughs> but did they have weapons as well though yes yeah hanging from the uh which was hilarious because sometimes they would fall down from the roof in uh other matches <laughs> <laughs> that's but, um, fantastic i remember all throughout the 2000s uh reading on like the dirt sheets where vince mcmahon was highly against bringing war games to the wwe um mm. which is why it only appeared uh in um nxt but uh, for years, Vince McMahon just didn't want it. I'm not sure the reason why, but that's all just speculation. He doesn't... I, I think you're right. I remember hearing or reading something like that. But would it come under... He's not very open to taking other people's ideas and mm. using them, I think. But on a similar... Um, no, isn't the Elimination Chamber um, a uh, version of War Games? Yeah, I think that was kind of... I don't know. Maybe that was maybe that was Vince's own spin on it. I, mm. I'm not. I'm not sure. Maybe. I mean, that would make sense. I suppose. Yeah. You know, the roof on the cage and people entering at different periods and so yeah. on. Yeah. I suppose that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. And Hell in a Cell was obviously a big cage with a roof on as well, but it's a bit of a different concept, I suppose, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, so the I think the war games. Thanks to the war games, we've got so many different match concepts and match types. Um, that have sold a lot of money. Even you can even count the Punjabi prison. I don't know if you remember that, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> because the, I mean, the thing is like the big, the two essentials are the cage and time. And if you if you look at the Punjabi prison, it was just like that. It was just a, didn't have multiple people, but it had cage and a time. So it really could be traced back to uh, this match. Didn't you? wasn't it you had to try and get to a certain door in a certain time to escape is that right yes it was yeah um they may have been watching too many indiana jones films um I think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it was yeah uh you had to uh get uh through i think three doors to win the match and you only had to fight five minutes or very takesh's castle if um i'm not <laughs> dating myself there <laughs> oh takesh's castle that was great that was what a crazy mm. tv show it was so my, my last memory of the Punjabi prison, though, is 
pretty much when you have the the ordinary camera angle, like, I suppose the hard cam they call it, don't they? Because the, you had two cages and they're both made of like the bamboo and, and whatnot, you couldn't see what was going on. Yes. The cage kind of blocked out blocked out the wrestlers, didn't it? Really. Yes, it did. It was uh, it was something, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, very strange. I wonder if we'll ever see that brought back again. Well, this this Vier guy is supposed to be coming back to Raw, isn't he? I wonder <laughs> if you know they'll bring the Punjabi prison match back for a stipulation for him to wrestle in, and potentially. I don't know. I think by the end of this podcast, I don't think he'll be able. He still won't be on his way uh, to Raw. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's been he's been trying to arrive for quite a while, hasn't he? He keeps getting lost. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and we keep trying to put it off, but we do have yeah. to go back to '95 and have a look at this match, my friend. You mentioned there about watching the War Games that was on Nitro and this War Games here. It's 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 a shame because I think you've probably watched the two worst <laughs> out of all of them. I strongly recommend checking out 1992. That's my favourite. That is so, so good. That, that's that got so much talent in it as well. Sting, Steve Austin, just so much talent in 92. That's, I think that's the best War Games match. But yeah, this is not from 92, sadly. <laughs> this is from 95. And we've got Shark. Hmm. Yes, Shark and Sting start the match. Which baffles me, really, because that, that, that means... They're going to go the duration no matter what. I wouldn't have thought Shark would be in a position to... I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fat bloke. My cardio is shocking. I can't walk up the stairs in, in, in a quick, rapid manner without, you know, trying to struggle to catch my breath. But why would you put a guy who is obviously going to struggle cardio-wise and obviously does within a minute or two of being in the ring with Sting in first? I don't understand that. I think just playing devil's advocate because he might have been the youngest here on that team. Oh, okay. I, I think men. I couldn't see Kamala doing it. No. I think no, it was I, the I, best choice. I suppose as well, Shark was very or, or earthquake or John Tenta was, was his, his name. He was similar to Arn Anderson, I suppose. He looked far older than he actually was, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, somebody put it, uh, on Twitter um, a picture of him in his prime, and he looked like, a, I'd say, at least late 40s, early 50s. But he was actually 28 in mm. the picture. And I just remember being mind-blown. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. Mm. Okay, that makes a bit of sense. Yep. We get a bear hug, which... I'm not a fan of the bear hug at the best of times, but in a war games match, when from my standpoint, I'm used to seeing Ric Flair bleeding everywhere and Luger getting his head smashed off the cage and Barry Windham trying to get hold of Sting or whatever, the horseman running wild and all this sort of stuff. So then seeing these cartoony guys done up in face paint and a bear hug, it really kind of... It really, I felt quite disappointed and quite sad in a way that war games have been reduced to this kind of comet comedy kind of gimmicky show. I guess Dan. Yeah, I mean uh, now now you've uh, suggested 1992. I'm going to definitely work my way up from uh, uh, when did it start? The 80s was it? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna work my way up and see what of uh, what was what was the good of this match because. Um, like you said, yeah, I think I've started. I've had a bad start. Yeah, definitely. 
Oh, definitely. We get the Zodiac entering and there's just a lot of punching and kicking going on because obviously the heel team have won the coin toss because baby faces in WCW are incredibly unlucky and never win a coin toss ever. Um, <laughs> Zodiac enters, then Savage enters to even the numbers up and we get more punching and kicking. And then Savage kind of gets stuck under the cage, which I thought was quite unique. That was quite quite a cool moment where Savage's leg was kind of out of the cage and the Dungeon of Doom were beating up Savage from the outside. I thought that was quite well done. Yeah, that was uh, something different, wasn't it? Yeah, I've not seen that very often in War Games matches, to be fair. Uh, Kamala enters. I mean, again, let's just remind ourselves, this is 1995, and we've got a guy who is dressed up like a, a savage from the jungle. It's not a good look, is it? No, definitely not. I mean, this was far away from Kamala's best days, where he was uh, main eventing cards with Hulk Hogan. Mm. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Again, it's very punch, kick, punch, kick, which multi-person matches tend to descend into that quite often, I suppose. But when you watch other War Games matches, and even the stuff of NXT now, they do have stuff going on that's not just punch and kick mm. before the finish, don't they? Yeah, they do. Uh, even in the, uh, going back to the TNA ones, uh, it was uh, they did definitely have... Um, a lot of action in there as well, not just punch kick. Uh, I remember Scott Stein even pulling off a um, Frankensteiner in his forties uh, in uh, one of the um, lockdown matches. So, oh, was that um, was that off the top rope? Yes, yes, it was. Yes, yeah. I've seen that. Was, yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember just uh, every Twitter wasn't around, but if it was, it would definitely be trending. Yeah, oh, I, I like Scott Steiner, he's great. Just the fact that he's an absolute lunatic is just yeah. awesome. <laughs> Speaking of lunatics, uh, Meng enters. I mean, Luger has entered as well by this stage. Luger and Savage do have a bit of a, a bit of a scuffle, don't they? That was that was something of interest actually happening in the match, which was unique. Yep, storytelling. Yeah, because the guys were unsure whether to trust Luger or not. Well, Savage mainly was unsure whether to trust Luger or not, I suppose. So they have a bit of a scuffle when Luger mistimes a move and bumps into Savage. Then Meng enters, and we get more punch kick, punch kick. Finally, Hogan enters and throws white powder in everyone's eyes, which I thought was actually quite clever. Yeah. Because it, he's entering the match with all of his teammates down, so he's outnumbered. I reckon that's quite a smart move. Yeah, it was something played into their characters because they were dressed as uh, army men, so... Yeah, it was definitely it was something you would definitely see in like a James Bond film or something where they go they just throw the thing in the eyes. But mm. um, yeah, I enjoyed that. That's probably just his stash, though, wasn't it? Let's be honest. He probably didn't realise <laughs> he had a start in his hand from the interview before the match. <laughs> Eventually, we get Hogan gets the submission from his old mate Brutus Beefcake, the Zodiac, with the Camel Clutch, which was quite a nice throwback because that was the Iron Sheik's move who Hogan beat for his first world title in 1984, I believe. 1984, yep. I think it was. So we get then the, the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, all four foot six of him, facing Hulk Hogan. Uh, but we don't get it, do we? No. They've, teased, they've teased this, and then they, they announce it. And in true WCW style, what we've been promised, we don't get. Mm. It was... Uh... Was Kevin Sullivan, Sullivan the booker here? 
Mm, interesting. Because <laughs> he was so. uh, in, facing off against the top guy, but he kind of like didn't want to lose his heat here. So, <laughs> mm, UTT Rob's the guy to ask for that. He knows all the yeah. and inside outs and all that. I, Sullivan booked for a long time. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Sullivan was booking at this. I think Sullivan was booking around the time Hogan was at this point because there's stories of him saying he wanted Hogan to turn heel before the NWO angle. So that would kind of fit in timeline-wise, wouldn't it, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you just have to look at his placement of the card and see if he's the booker or if he's not. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good show, actually. That's a really good point. Uh, eventually the giant comes in and interrupts this this five minutes with the taskmaster hogan takes a bit of a beating before his mates all come back and rescue him and and that's the end of the show i suppose we get one nice touch we get the ring announcer asking for paramedics to come to the ring to to assist hogan which i thought was was, was quite a nice touch you don't tend to get that very often but yeah that was that was the end of four brawl 95 danny but just before we uh go um do you remember Bobby Heenan, uh, do you know who he was alluding to when the Giant walked out? Go on. He was alluding to uh, Andre the Giant because uh, he said, um, I remember that singlet, I remember those boots, and uh, I, I completely, I read about this where they tried to play the Giant as Andre the Giant's son, Yeah, which is so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you get a little snippet of Hogan, don't you, before... Yes before the match actually that we didn't cover because the giant has used a monster truck to run over his bike his harley davidson that the fans got in apparently oh, yeah <laughs> which i mean hogan's a multi-millionaire i'm not being funny buy your own fucking motorcycle you know what I mean? <laughs> don't, don't be coiling off the fans mate yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go fan to me <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> i need a new bike um <laughs> but uh Hogan, at one stage in this little promo package, it, it cuts to him and he sat there saying, oh, and I could feel the presence of Andre. That's that's in bad taste, man. Uh, I think that's very, very tasteless, considering mm. Andre the Giant had been, uh, he'd passed away uh, two years before this. Yeah, 93, and, uh, wasn't it? Early 93, I think he died. Yeah, and I, I, the weird thing is, I think it was today, actually, his uh, anniversary as we're recording this. Um, oh, really? Was it today or yesterday? It was, yeah, we're very, very close to it, so... Um, yeah, it's weird that we uh recording and covering this awful uh storyline, but um, I mean, how could anyone believe that that was Andre the Giant's son? I don't care. Wow, yeah, it's nonsense, <laughs> if, isn't it? If it was the 60s, I would understand where there was no internet readily available or dirt sheets or anything like that, but no, I mean, there's no way they have they don't even look like each other. No, he had a daughter, Andre, didn't he? Mm, yeah, he did. Yeah, I think she appeared on that show, um, Most Wanted Treasures or some something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but no, I, she didn't enter the wrestling uh, business. No, no. <laughs> well, yeah, there we go. I suppose so. Two, two nitros, and then we get a pay per view on our track through WCW on Nitro Nights here. As always, as, as sort of seems to have been what we're going to settle into now, we're going to name our good points and bad points, pick one of each from the pay-per-view each in what we're calling our woo or our oh brother. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Danny, do you want to go first or second, my friend? Um, I'll let you go first this time, sir. Okay, mate, no problem. Um, my 
Woo, my good moment. It's a toss-up between Bobby Heenan's commentary, because I think Heenan made even the matches that sucked. He tried his best to make them more enjoyable, and he always makes me laugh. And he, he, you know, in later years in WCW, you can see Heenan's kind of checked out, but here he's still quite sharp and witty and quick. So I enjoyed Bobby Heenan's performance, but I think I've got to go with Flair versus Arn mm. because just obvious reasons it's me i mean I, how could i not put forward rick flair versus Arn anderson as, as, as my woo for the for the week mate uh what's your woo then my friend yeah the woo is definitely jimmy hart because um I, god bless him he even painted up himself i mean he wasn't even in the match <laughs> <laughs> so i'll say yeah he gets the woo this week fair enough mate fair enough my oh brother is quite simple and straightforward and it's going to be as no surprise to anybody it's the bloody dungeon of doom oh my goodness <laughs> they suck yeah what about you uh it was definitely the um the giant being referred to as under the giant son uh mm. that kind of just ended this uh pay-per-view on a sour note for me so yeah i would say that was definitely the old brother of the week yeah that makes a lot of sense as well my friend so then, lastly, how would we rate this show? Hit, miss, or middling? Uh, I'd say an upper miss. So just about to become middle, but yeah. What about you? Yeah, it's a miss for me, mate. It's a miss for me. If if Ric Flair versus Arn Anderson putting on 20 minutes of great wrestling still doesn't make you think this show is good, then you know there's some absolute crap on this pay-per-view. <laughs> so to me, the Dungeon of Doom nonsense cobra versus the army guy nonsense sherry versus uh, sherry and colonel parker nonsense it's just nonsense after nonsense after nonsense then arlen flair and then more nonsense so yeah it's a, it's a miss for me mate <laughs> yeah <laughs> i can see why ah <laughs> uh, so there we go there we go next time on nitro nights we will be back looking at the next episode of monday nitro which was the day after this pay-per-view so we'll get the the fallout and the repercussions from the four brawl pay-per-view with the next episode of nitro nights but before we go danny john let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and the shows you're involved in and all the great content and other wonderful stuff that people should be checking out yep Thank you. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. I may not sound Scottish, but trust me, I am. <laughs> um, you can also hear me on uh, One Man's Meat podcast with um, the great Chris Bellis, where we go through the dusty corners of uh, the wrestling so that you don't have to. And you can hear me on A Changing Attitude with Mags, T Tanner and Ori, where we discuss the WWF Attitude Era. And uh, that's about it. Thank you very much. Yeah, and definitely go check out A Change in Attitude. I think the Twitter handle is at A-C-I-A pod, uh, A Change in Attitude pod. Go check that out. Um, or you can just look up Danny's Twitter, at Scottish Juggalo. Uh, find links to it via that. It's available on uh, the Chairshot Media Network. Definitely worth listening to. They're a great team over there covering a brilliant time in wrestling. But is it a time in wrestling people look back on with rose-tinted glasses? They're finding out for us, and it's well worth a listen. You can find me on Twitter, at SJPWords. You can also track me down on Facebook, 
SJP All the Shows and Info is the group you need there, where there's people in there, uh, links to my shows, articles, or anything like that. So give that a follow, join the group, get involved there. Uh, and that all, all my shows are included in that. So that is that is the Doctor Who pod I'm doing with Dan Griffin. Really enjoying working my way through Doctor Who, talking about classic and new Who with him. The Waiting Room, I'm doing with our good friend Benny Mack at Waiting Room Pod underscore on Twitter. Looking back on Quantum Leap, episode by episode. Really enjoying that. A great show that I loved from my childhood. We have Chain Wrestling, which is live on a Monday night, or the podcast version comes out on a Wednesday at Chain underscore Wrestling there with our good friend Mr. Max. But most importantly, you can find this show on Facebook and Twitter simply by searching at Nitro underscore nights again my handle at sjp words links to all my shows there this show at nitro underscore nights danny i must say my friend the first nitro we watched i enjoyed second nitro i watched i enjoyed but not quite as much this pay-per-view sucked but i've enjoyed talking to you about this pay-per-view that sucked so thank you so so much my friend Thank you very much. Yeah, the same goes for me. So, I mean, we've got uh, years of this to go. So, hopefully, it'll be it'll be better than this pay per view. There's peaks and troughs all the way through, buddy. There's peaks and troughs all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Danny, I look forward to speaking to you again very, very soon. And to everybody else, thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>